Hebrews chapter 4. Guys, we are surrounded by, before we get into the passage, I, I, I want to explain first and foremost why um, I've decided to go into this passage. We're studying Hebrews um, in our Sunday night service, um, and it's been a real blessing to me. It's been a blessing to Pastor Mark, who also teaches it. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a real blessing because I think what Hebrews does, you know, uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and all of these New Testament books, Titus, which you guys are going through on Wednesday nights, all of these books are epistles, uh, meaning that they're, they're letters. They're letters that are either written by Paul, some are written by Peter, others uh, have unknown um, origins, unknown authors like the book of Hebrews. Um, but what I like about the book of Hebrews is that the format of it and the structure of it isn't a letter necessarily like all of the other um, books or epistles that we see. Uh, Hebrews is written um, more like a sermon. It, it's more like a sermon given to the Hebrew people. Um, and and these, are, these are the Hebrews that I- exist in this, um, I- in a world that is con- continually more uh, increasing in animosity towards them. Right? And, and, and I think sometimes we have this idea of persecution, but persecution for them meant death, right? Persecution for them meant that they were going to be crucified. You know, persecution for them meant that they're going to be fed to the lions, right? And so there's, there's a lot of persecution happening. And what the Hebrew people are deciding right now and what the pastor of the Hebrew people is trying to articulate is um, he's trying to convince the people that they shouldn't just retract to their Jewish faith. That, that was kind of, that's kind of the theme here where, where, where the Hebrew pastor is trying to convince them, listen, Christ is far better than what you used to have, right? He's far better than what you would consider holy like angels. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter one. He's far better than the, the figures that you have, the leaders that you consider to be amazing, you know, and, and he used the example of Moses in Hebrews chapter two. And so he uses all of these examples to, to articulate this, that, that you have been called into something so much greater that is worth the persecution, right? And we enter into Hebrews chapter 4, and, 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 uh, and what came before chapter 4 was almost a plead from the Hebrew pastor, he was saying, listen, I, I, I beg you, I beg you to not fall into the patterns of ancient Israel. And the patterns of ancient Israel, if, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the patterns of ancient Israel are uh, God had, had you know, paid this path for them, given them a land flowing with milk and honey. He had brought them out of slavery. And, and, and I want to kind of uh, allow you guys to think a little differently because I think we have this Hollywood version of slavery in our heads where we, this Hollywood version of slavery where we, we picture whippings and we picture faster, right? And, and, you know, carrying large loads. But what slavery truly meant in, especially in an evil society such as Egypt, what slavery really meant was that men would work until they died Women were carried off and, and anything that people wanted, they could do to them, you know. And then uh, not only that, but a genocide of children. Where Pharaoh said, listen, Hebrew people, we got to do some crowd control. We got to do some population control. Um, kill all the firstborn children. Just kill them really quick. Just 
just to keep the population down. And so that was slavery. I, I don't want you guys to get um, kind of the Hollywood version of slavery. It, it's not necessarily that. It was so much more brutal than you can imagine. And God called them out of this into a land of Canaan, a, a land that was promised to Abraham, their patriarch, saying, listen, I have this land for you, so I'm going to call you out of slavery. And, and in between the promised land and slavery, there's going to be the wilderness, In between the promised land and slavery is the wilderness, and the wilderness was uncomfortable. Now, it wasn't slavery, but it was uncomfortable. And what the discomfort and the anxiety of the present had done was made them forget the slavery of the past. And that's what happens to us today. Because it started to happen where the Hebrew people were starting to complain, like, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Like, at least there was food in Egypt. At least it wasn't, like, at least we had some shade, like, once a day in Egypt, right? And so people started to fantasize their slavery because they were filled with anxiety and uncertainty in the present. And isn't that, isn't that kind of how we are today? So filled with anxiety about what's happening around us right now that we somehow we kind of over-romanticize the past a little bit and the slavery that we've come from. And then and that we can't see the future that Christ has ahead of us. And, and, and so we are surrounded by craziness, you know, especially with the election coming up and, 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 and what I, the tone I've been getting and the discipleship I have with people and the counseling I have with people and the meetings and the day-to-day, the, the biggest issue I see in our church and in our culture is being filled with busyness and anxiety. Being filled with busyness and anxiety. And the pastor of Hebrews speaks to it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. So it says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not entitled by faith with those who listened, united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he's talking about the Hebrew people. He's saying, I'm swearing, I I swear, if they continue down this, they're not going to enter into my rest. And that wasn't necessarily God just saying, I forbid you to rest. It's the, the natural wrath that comes from drifting away from God. It's what's called natural wrath. That is the theological term. It is, it is, we disobey God. We ensue wrath upon ourselves by nature of the sins that we commit, right? So, so they're drifting from God. And by nature of that, they're entering, they're not allowed to enter into God's rest. And it says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And we'll continue through the rest of the passage as the night goes on. But bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, um, I thank you that you are, um, God, that you are willing to speak to us as a privilege. God, that you are not a God who remains mysterious and unknown, but you are a God who um, decides to make himself known. Lord, that, that you, you have opened the doors in our lives and, 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 and you knock and you say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, that, that you would choose to offer yourself up, God, is, is a privilege, Lord. And, and I, I pray that we would not squander that tonight, Lord, that, uh, that as you reveal yourself in your word, Lord, that we would take it as um, the sweet manna that it is. Um, Father, allow us and open up our hearts to experience, Lord, new truths tonight or reinforce old truths. Either way, let us never be as arrogant to think that we cannot learn anything from you. Lord, whatever is said of me, as I pray often, whatever is said of me, may it be forgotten. It's not important. But whatever is said of you and your Holy Spirit, may, may it be grabbed onto, latched onto by our hearts. And may we never let go for all of eternity. Help us, Jesus. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. The author of Hebrews continually says, all throughout the book of Hebrews, do not let your hearts grow hard. Do not let your hearts grow hard. We want our hearts to say yes to God, right? And we, we want our hearts, when, when God commands something, when God says something, when he wants us to do something, we really do desire, Lord, help me to say yes to you. Help there to not be so many obstacles in my way to saying yes to your spirit and yes to your presence. But what the author of Hebrews often says is, what hinders us and what makes us disobedient is a hard heart that is a result from not entering God's rest. Hardened hearts are created when we refuse to enter into God's rest. When we fix our eyes upon the stresses and the anxieties of life rather than Christ himself. That's often what happens to me at least. Where, where there's so much anxieties and so much stresses and there's busyness and there's jobs and there's relationships. There's all these things surrounding me and how my heart grows hard and how I refuse to enter into God's rest is usually that instead of looking at Jesus who has carried his cross before me, I look upon the stresses that I have to jump over to get to him. So I think of stress and anxiety as a hurdle I have to jump over to really experience rest with Jesus when it's actually not true. That as I fix my eyes upon Jesus, what naturally happens is that the stresses and anxieties will, will start to part as the Red Sea did. And this is what the people of Israel did. This is what the people of Israel did. The second that they were met with uncertainty, because they were, they were stoked when they got out of slavery, right? This, you know, just a hundred yards out of Egypt, they're like, yes, Moses rocks. Our God is awesome. We're going to sing to him. It's going to be great. 
there's the ocean, there's the army, we're going to die, right? That's just kind of the natural progression of things, which is God got us out of slavery, dead end, okay, right? Like, I I, I guess I, I, I either surrender myself up to die, or I go and fight, or I just try and swim. I don't know what it is. And then God parts the Red Sea. And I'm like, okay, all right, awesome. So this is cool. The, the waves are moving, right? The, the ocean is parting, right? This is weird, but okay, we're going for it. The entire, the entire Egyptian army is consumed by the waves. They are safe. They go into uh, the wilderness and, <laughs> and manna falls from the sky, right? And there's quail that automatically appear and there's water coming from rocks and all these crazy things that God's doing to provide for them. And what ends up happening is that since they start to get a little comfortable, And then they go further into the wilderness and it gets a little uncomfortable. And they're like, do you know what? This wilderness thing isn't working out. I think we should go back to Egypt. (laughs) Once again, just the focus on their just certain circumstances is causing them to not realize the awesome future that God has ahead of them. And, And they wanted to go back to Egypt as slaves. As slaves, they would rather be slaves and comfortable than free and uncomfortable. And honestly, that's how I feel. Guys, I would much rather be a slave to my computer and the TV and be comfortable than actually challenge myself out in the real world, right? Like, I, I, I feel like it's, it's a different vice for all of us, Right? It's a different vice for all of us where we would rather be comfortable and slaves to some sort of habit or vice rather than being free, but it'd be a little uncomfortable. And the author of Hebrews, I love this. In verse six, he says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Guys, they had, that generation that was let out of slavery had to die. They died in the wilderness. They had to wait 40 years. Time for that entire generation to pass away and for a new generation to rise up. There's only a few, like Joshua, who were actually from the first generation that got to actually enter into the promised land. And by that time, they were so old and battle-ridden that they just... You know, they, they kind of got there and had to fight and conquer and then hey, don't even get to enjoy it, right? They died. Right? And so, and so these, these, this generation that was led out of slavery didn't even get to enter into the promise of rest that God had for them because, because their hearts had grown hard because they refused to rest in God's presence as it was in the wilderness. And, 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 and this is something that I, I you know, for, for those of you that go to Sunday nights and stuff, you know, this is, some, this is a point I belabor often, but I think it's important. It's an important distinction that um, there's a main difference between, at least in my opinion, obviously there's so much fundamental differences that books upon books are written out of them, but there's a fundamental difference to me between Allah and Yahweh. Now, that difference is that if you read the Koran, which I encourage you to do so, if you read the Koran, you, 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 you listen to all of these commands, and they are, and a lot of them are very similar to the commands of Yahweh. Very similar. However, Allah frequently has to bribe you with something. Saying that if you do this, 
you'll get this in heaven. If you do this, you'll get this many jewels. If you do this, you'll get this many virgins. If you do this, you'll get this many this, right? And, and, and Allah continually has to bribe you with objects that are similar to that in, on earth, right? So heaven, really, in, in, in the Quran, just sounds like a shinier earth, right? Filled with more wine and more gold, which I don't like either. So, like, the, heaven sounds sucky to me, right? So, so but, 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 what, but what Allah does is he has to bribe you with something. But what Yahweh does is he says, and if you notice in Revelation, he gives very little detail about heaven. Have you noticed that? Yes, yes, roads of gold and stuff like that. But there's very, very little detail. Considering how much attention people give to it, there's actually very little detail about heaven in the Bible. And that's because... God says, I'm all you need. Your reward is me when you get to heaven. <laughs> the beauty of heaven is that you get to be with me. Not that I'm going to give you more stuff, but that you're going to be united and in worship and in perfect harmony with me. Right? He doesn't have to bribe you with anything in the future. He's just saying, it's me. I, I'm the one. I'm the one who will be the source of your pleasure in heaven. I'm the one who will be the source of your pleasure in life. I'm not going to reward you with any monetary or any jewel or any relational gains. I alone will satisfy you. And what has happened here, guys, what has happened here, how cynicism and stress grows is for us to continually focus on the anxieties around us and fail to see that the real rest does not lie in the anxieties going away, but rather that the God is present with us in them. God alone is the source of peace and the source of satisfaction. So whatever is around us is rest. God had this life set out before them full of bliss. Now, it wasn't a carefree and easy life, but it was one filled uh, with the, at, at the crossroads of rest and productivity. Isn't that what we really want in life? Don't we, don't, isn't that what humanity seeks more than anything, is to have a good balance of rest and productivity? Yeah? I, w- I would say that to me sounds like a blissful life where I, I, I'm not so overwhelmed and consumed that I, I, I get to experience some sort of joy in my life, but not so lazy and doing nothing that I feel like I'm not accomplishing anything with my life. Does that make sense? We, we all want to find this bliss at the crossroads of rest and productivity. And I, would, and, and, and I think what the he, Hebrew author here and what the, all throughout the Bible is, is that a life with Christ is found at those crossroads of rest and productivity. But Israel didn't get that. They weren't allowed to enter into that. They had to toil. What happened to Adam when he rejected God's rest? He had to work the field, and it was hard. He didn't get to enter into God's rest. And Israel is just like us. We cannot, for the life of us, handle rest. We can't handle it. We don't like it. We don't like it. We can't handle rest. And all of verse 11, right? All verse 11 is doing is using the mistakes of Israel to point us to not forsaking the Sabbath. Not forsaking the Sabbath. It says this, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken 
of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it in verse six. Uh, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Listen, the author of Hebrews associates disobedience towards God as a result of not taking the Sabbath seriously. He makes that direct connection saying that disobedience towards God and a growing of a hard heart as we see in Hebrews chapter three is a direct result of not taking the Sabbath seriously, of neglecting that command that God has given us. And, and I, I'm just going to kind of, just in case you guys have grown up with any um, preconceived biases on this, as I have myself that had to be weeded out of me as I actually submitted to the authority of scripture. But what I have been taught was that since Jesus came, we no longer have to observe the Sabbath. Um, and the argument is that since Jesus uh, brings rest and, and, and kind of the Sabbath is a metaphor for heaven. And so our real Sabbath rest is going to be when we die and go to heaven. I cannot tell you how many preachers I have heard that have said that we no longer have to keep that commandment, which is part of the Ten Commandments, because Jesus is our rest now. So we don't have to observe a Sabbath day. And for those of you that don't know what a Sabbath day is, it's a day off. And I've never heard an Australian preacher say that. I listen to a lot of them. Never heard a British preacher say that. Listen to a lot of them. Only American preachers. Only American preachers. Because in America, we work. And I would argue that probably besides idolatry and maybe lying, not keeping the Sabbath is our greatest sin in this nation. I would argue that as far as the Ten Commandments go. And the author of Hebrews says that not keeping the Sabbath and not taking it seriously is the reason for so much of our disobedience as people. Because we're so frantically obsessed with our work and anxiety around us that we just make irrational decisions. And we're consumed with things. We're consumed with this. And it leads us as the Israel people to fear. To grow afraid. And to be victim of our circumstances. And not enter into God's real rest. And for those of you that need more background on the Sabbath, we get it from Exodus chapter 20. When we're, when we're talking about the Ten Commandments. In verse 8 of Hebrew, of Exodus chapter 20 he says this remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it shall you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or a sojourner who is within your gates so for those of you that have male and female servants right like you got to give them a break all your livestock that I know you guys take care of. For in the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He doesn't just say, you take a break. He's saying, your husband, your wife, children, your employees, break. No one works. Right? Sabbath day. And Hebrews chapter 4, 4 quotes this when he says, hey, even God, the maker of heaven and earth, rested, rested on the seventh day, right? And that's insane to me. That's crazy. I I think it's crazy. And I often also, if you go to Sunday nights, you know, I say this a lot. I think the Bible's crazy. I think it's crazy. Stop pretending it's not. Stop pretending that a man being swallowed by a fish and staying in there for three days is an insane Stop acting like marching around a wall seven days and then a toppling for some reason somehow is logical. It says in Corinthians that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. That's what I see as the foolishness of God, right? The, the Bible's insane. And in, in some of the claims that it makes, doesn't mean it's not true. I'm just saying it's awesome because God's like, I'm just going to use craziness to accomplish my will and you guys aren't going to understand it and I'm going to laugh, Right? I honestly see that in some passages and it's awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this to me, and this to me is crazy that the God of the, the maker of the heaven and the earth took a break, took a break, rested. And this is insane because it brings up a whole bunch of questions in my head. Like, does God even need rest? Like, was God tired? Does that mean God isn't perfect? Right? Maybe you guys have way more like, well, you know, that's insane, Zach. But like, that's, that's, that's the type of questions that pop up in my head. Like, did God need rest? Did he need rest? And the way we automatically look at the concept of a Sabbath reveals our attitude towards the concept of rest. Um, because I think for some of us, most of us maybe, we think that rest means you need to take a break because you're tired. When that's not necessarily true. And, and, and so if we view rest as, I only need to take rest when I'm tired, that means we could just medicate our weariness with caffeine and sugar, right? And, and, and just continually keep going. Like as long as we aren't tired, we don't need a Sabbath. I can go all day. Boom. Doesn't matter. And, and we could just pump ourselves with a, 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 just more just anxiety juice, coffee, just, just, can, you know, just fuel ourselves this way. And, and we keep going. Or maybe some of you are just those types of people that just don't really get tired. I don't know who you are or where you came from. <laughs> but you might be one of those people. You just don't get tired very easily. You don't get tired naturally. But as I said... You know, some of you think, you know, since I don't get tired, I don't need a Sabbath. Or, you know, it's, I only need a half a Sabbath. I only need a half day off. Then I'll do chores the rest of the day. I would say, once again, that other than, than idolatry and lying, the main commandment broken today in the United States is that we hate rest. We hate it. Because if we need rest... It means we're weak. And if we aren't busy, it means we aren't productive. And if we aren't productive, it means we're not important. 
when people ask you how you're doing, how often do you say, busy, busy? Because busy means you're important, doesn't it? At least it does for me. Even if I'm not busy, I say busy. I want people to believe that people need me and that I'm important and I have responsibility. So even if I'm fine, I'll say busy because busyness denotes importance. That's how our culture is wired. That's how we're function. That's, that's, that's how we operate. That is why for some of us, our Sabbaths are filled with chores and catching up with everyone we haven't seen or working on some sort of side project that our days off aren't days off because we still need to feel important and busy, don't we? And the pastor in Hebrew shakes us and I just picture him banging on the pulpit and saying, don't let yourself be swept into disobedience because you don't take Sabbath rest. For your own souls, please rest. For your own soul's sake, for the sake of your relationship with Jesus, Take a day to have Sabbath rest. And that doesn't necessarily mean napping all day. And we yell back, there's so much to be done. There's so much to be done. I'm fine. I'm not tired. There's too much, there's too much work. There's too much homework. There's too much, you know, there's too much family things. There's too much these things. I'm not tired. It's okay. There's a lot to be done. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Newsflash. Neither was God. But he still took a day to rest. He still took a day to rest. Taking a Sabbath, a day of rest, is not just about recharging. It's so much more than that. It's so much more. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God designed seven days in the week, one specifically for a Sabbath. Not taking a Sabbath is disobeying God. It is going against nature. I remember um, Pastor Brett mentioned in the staff meeting. It was really funny because I had the same reaction as everybody else. I'm about to call out the staff. Sorry, guys. You guys are going to be used as an example. Um, he said, how many of you guys take the Sabbath? Seriously, right? That's a, that is a command by God. And all of us had the same exact reaction. Like, <laughs> right, that would be great, huh? All of us. Every single one of us. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like. Like anyone takes the Sabbath, right? And I had that reaction. I had that reaction immediately. And I'm just like, it's a specific day designed by God for rest. A day to step back and look at what you've done and be satisfied with it. How can you be satisfied with the fruit of your labor if you had not taken time to enjoy it? How can you take time to enjoy your family if you're constantly in and out, in and out? How can you take time to enjoy the gifts that God has given you if you do not take a step back and enjoy what you see before you? 
A day of rest is not just a day of relaxation. It's a day of contemplation. It's a day of contemplating what God has given you. And Sabbaths are so hard because our jobs are designed to go 24-7, aren't they? It's just, it's just the nature of Western work. It's just the way it happens. The way our lives are structured, the ethos of our nation is hammer and nail. Work. Going to the plow. Working seven days a week. And so I, 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 want, I want to take a step back. And, and I want to challenge you. I really want to challenge you. Now, I'm going to give you three things that the Sabbath does for us. Just three things. So for those of you that take notes, I'm going to give you three things that the Sabbath does for your soul, what it does for your relationship with God. And, and I would argue, guys, that our relationship to the Sabbath, our relationship to the Sabbath can heal our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And all the craziness of life and all the anxieties that you're surrounded by might start to seem a little bit smaller as you really take time to observe the Sabbath. Because like I said, the Sabbath isn't just a day to lay in your bed all day. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can be done on the Sabbath. But, and, and once again, um, I also before I give you the three things, I don't want to get pharisaical here. Right? I, I don't want to get pharisaical. I, I, I don't, I don't want to tell you how to do, because automatically what we might be doing in our heads is listing all the things that we're not allowed to do on our Sabbath rest day. You know, all the things I'm not allowed to do on my day off. That's, that's what Pharisees would do. What Pharisees would do, they would make up rules about the Sabbath. Um, a big rule that I think is hilarious is that they weren't allowed to drag furniture. Um, because what would happen is by dragging furniture, you would churn up dust and that was considered plowing. It's considered work. You weren't allowed to carry anything um, that was heavier than a dried fig leaf. You couldn't throw a ball. That was considered work, right? So there's all these things, all, all these rules that the Pharisees would make up to make sure that they enjoyed their Sabbath. But really what they ended up doing was kind of just like sitting there, not doing anything. Right? And, and, and Jesus said something very specific because Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees would be like, look at Jesus working on the Sabbath. And he's like, um, excuse me, am I allowed to do good things on the Sabbath? Who's the Sabbath made for? Was man made for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath made for man? It's the second one. Sabbath was made for you. You guys know that? It's a gift for you. It's a command and it's a gift. It's a gift God specifically made for you. Yes. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get to that. Okay. So the Sabbath. So here, here are the three things that the Sabbath does for us. Three things that the Sabbath does for us. First, the Sabbath causes us to listen to God. First thing that the Sabbath does causes us to listen to God. God has made the Sabbath day to specifically for us to be still and look around at all that he has done in and around our lives. It's a day for us to take back and take a sober look at what God has done for us. In Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. You guys know translated, translated in the Hebrew, be still means stop working. Literally, means stop striving, stop working. 
That's literally what it means. Stop it. God's saying, stop striving. Stop striving. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Stop worrying. Stop working. Chill out. The word be still literally meant stop striving, stop working. And and God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak to you without the laptop open or the school books open or all the friends around. He, He wants time with you. Some of you cannot listen because it, it, is, it is called in Scripture, God's voice is called a still and quiet voice. It's a still, small, which means quiet voice. And we live in a world that is moving and loud. How can we listen to the still and quiet voice if our world is moving and loud? So what the Sabbath does is that we stop. We stop the moving to listen to the still voice of God. We drown out the noise to listen to the quiet voice of God. Where we could be still and know that he is God. It is a day for us not to just go and play with our kids, which is awesome. You should, if you have kids and you have a Sabbath day, take them to the park, you know, go to a movie, do all of these things. You could do these things. You don't have to do nothing on the Sabbath, but take a part of the day where you get to sit in the still, small, quiet voice of the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you something. My morning devotions are not sufficient for my faith. And, I'll tell, uh, and I know that sounds crazy, but I'll, but I'll tell you this. My 20-minute devotions in the morning before I start work is not necessarily, it's not a time where I really sit still and try and hear what God's trying to tell me. Does that make sense? Because I do have a day that needs to be done. Right? I, I, I have tasks that need to be performed. I've got people that require my time. Right? So, so it's, it, it is incredibly important be- for my relationship between my God and I. It's incredibly important for us to take some time where he really gets to speak and minister to my heart. Where I spend more than 20 minutes in the Word. Maybe I, maybe I spend an hour just soaking it in. Right? Maybe there's some tasks that, I, that need to be done, but that could be weighted. That, that could wait. First thing it does, it causes us to listen to God. The second thing, the second thing it does is the Sabbath causes us to trust in God's provision. To trust in God's provision. Some of you may immediately be thinking, as I say this, Zach, I can't take a day off. There's too much work to be done. I can't take a day off. There's too much work to be done. Exactly. That's exactly my point. Zach, there's too much work. That's why you need to take a Sabbath. There's too much work to be done. By surrendering a day to God, we communicate to him and more importantly to ourselves that our work does not own us. We communicate to God, but more importantly, we need to communicate to ourselves that our work doesn't own us, God does. By taking that day off to rest, we are proving that God alone is our provider and that work is not our savior, he is. And that we are not defined necessarily by what we do, but who Christ has called us as. 
Because I don't know about you, but I often get wrapped up in the things that I do. And, and, and I try to impose that as my identity. A God is which you ascribe ultimate worth and declaration of security in. That's a God. Fundamentally, that's what your God is. It's what you declare worth and security in. And for some of us, that's job. Our job is our ultimate source of security. Our uh, whatever volunteer work we do is a part of our security. Our schoolwork, for those of you that are students. That is why not taking a Sabbath seriously causes our hearts to grow hard and to disobey God. Because by not resting, we constantly communicate that we don't need him. And that we can bolster up enough courage and enough strength to get it done by ourselves. And that we don't need God. And that our present struggles and anxieties can be solved by us simply working harder. So taking a Sabbath is saying, no matter how hard I work, God is in control of the things in my life. And I will work hard those six days. I will work hard. I will strive, but only in the strength that God gives me and nothing else. The third thing that it does is that the Sabbath causes us to find our identities in Christ. And like I said, I can't tell you how many times I've heard pastors on the pulpit say, Jesus is our rest now, so there's no need for a Sabbath. Jesus is our rest now, so there's no need of the Sabbath. And they usually quote Matthew 12, verse 8. That's, that's usually the verse that they go to. They, when Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Because uh, Jesus' apostles, they were picking grain, and, and they were taking it, and they were using it as a snack. And, and the Pharisees, they come up and said to them, hey, you, your, your apostles, they're working on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. They have me, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And a, a bunch of preachers will also say, well, Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath, so we can perform miracles on the Sabbath, meaning work. Miracles were Jesus' work, after all, so we can work on the Sabbath as well. We could do good on the Sabbath. Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew twelve eight, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, so as long as we have him, we don't need the Sabbath. A faith in Jesus does not replace a need for a restful Sabbath. It means that our restful Sabbath is about finding rest in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we say, all right, Jesus replaces the Sabbath. It means that the Sabbath is about Jesus. It's about finding rest in him. It's about being with him. It's about enjoying our family and our friends in the context of fellowship and joy because it's a gift that Christ has given us. So I'm not saying don't go visit family on the Sabbath, right? I'm not saying don't go do fun things with your family on the Sabbath. I'm not saying don't talk to people on the Sabbath. I'm I'm not even saying don't go to a church function on the Sabbath because a lot of what your Sabbath might entail is going to church and resting in his presence, In Hebrews 4.11, he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then he later on, what we haven't read yet in Hebrews 4 verse 14, 
He says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Sabbath is meant to recenter ourselves in our identities as children of God and to find relation between us and Christ. He's our great high priest, so we ought to let him minister to us as such. He relates to our weakness, so we ought to let him relate to us in that way and relinquish our weaknesses to him. As it says in 1 Peter, to cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Matthew um, eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A Sabbath is about taking a day to enjoy life with Jesus. And that means enjoying the gifts that he's given you. So once again, I'm not a proponent of sit there and do nothing but read your Bible for 24 hours. It is about enjoying the things that God has given you. It is about finding rest in his presence and declaring to yourself, I, I'm not going to get lost in what I do, but rather in what Christ has done for me. I'm not going to define myself based off of my actions, but rather Christ's actions on the cross. And I'm going to let my time with Jesus then empower me for the next six days of work ahead of me. A Sabbath proves that Jesus is Lord over your life. And he gives you the grace to strengthen you and, and, and give you the strength you need for the work ahead. And for me, guys, and for me, maybe not you, but for me, I need it because it communicates that Christ is Lord over my life and that I'm not Lord and that it's not by my strength that I get through. That's why it's so tempting for me to not take a Sabbath because I want to be important. I want to be busy because it gives me some sense of control over the craziness that I experience in my life. That somehow making more money on that one specific day means more to me. That it will provide more security for me. That it will provide more identity for me. And I, I know some of you are surrounded by this. If I skip a day of work, that means less money here and, and less money here. Is it that important that you would gain the whole world and lose your soul? Is that important to you? Is the extra amount of income that important to you? And if it is, guys, if it absolutely is, there's grace in everything and you can find your Sabbath in a different time. But I encourage you to not make excuses 
and to take a day where you can rest in the Lord. And before I pray, and before we just close out, and I'll take questions and, and all of that, and we'll, we'll end a little early, because I want you to go rest. But some closing advice for you. Some closing advice for you is that, it, as the question was stated before, you know, there's a lot of debate on whether we rest on Sundays because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Is that our Sabbath now because he's our rest? Or is it on Saturday because that's the day that the Jews assigned for them? Um, I, I will say this, that the truth of Scripture um, is usually able to be applied in the different contexts of culture. So, so, so what that means is that six days for me means something different than six days for you. My work week, my work week ends on Sunday. Or my work week starts on Sunday. I, I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. I can't take a Sabbath on a Sunday. I'm here serving you guys. So I, I as a pastor, can't take a Sabbath on Sunday. My wife and I, we take our Sabbath on Saturday. Now, for some of you, you work Saturdays and Sundays, but you have Wednesdays off, right? You have a Tuesday off. That's the seventh day for you, and the week starts after that. The truth of Scripture is still able to be attained in the different contexts of culture, where there's, there's different days. Because, because, listen, if your job allows one day off for you, and that day is a Friday, Friday's your Sabbath. Friday's your Sabbath. If you have two days off, if you're blessed with two days off, one day's still your Sabbath, and you could get the chores done on the next day. If you're a mom, you're a stay-at-home mom, get your husband in gear, man. Take a Sabbath for yourself. I'm just kidding. You, you, you figure that out. But it doesn't matter what day it is. As long as it's most of your day. As long as it's most of your day. Um, church history is what informs the Sunday Sabbath, not scripture. Right? And the old covenant people existed on Saturday as the Sabbath. Right? And that was a cultural thing. And so what, what I, I want you guys to experience the freedom to allow a random Tuesday to be your Sabbath. Okay? It's, it's church history, not scripture, that informs the Sunday Sabbath. Now, I, I suggest a Sunday Sabbath, if that's, if that's good for you, because you could go to church and then experience the rest of your day with your family and to rest and have fun and experience the Lord, right? But that's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. My second form of advice, practical advice, is to do something that you enjoy. Do something different. The best way I've heard it described is if you're a fisherman, don't go fishing. If you're a contractor, don't build something, right? Like, the, it's, it's super simple. If you're a student, just stop reading textbooks. Don't do homework, right? And, 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 and by doing this, guys, by doing, by doing something different than what your work is, you're really keeping yourself accountable to enjoy the fruit of your labor and not the labor itself. You can enjoy the labor in six days, but you enjoy the fruit of it on your Sabbath. And this, this is just advice. Once again, this isn't like, this isn't something like this is, I don't have a verse attached to every single one of these. This is my pastoral advice for you. Um, and then my other advice is to use that day to contemplate and meditate on your relationship with Christ. 
So the, the balance that my wife and I are trying to find, because we're really struggling with Sabbath, okay? That was something, and, and one of the reasons I'm teaching this for you is because this is something that the Lord's been doing in my heart and in my life. This isn't, I'm, I'm not up here just, you know, banging on the pulpit, telling you to do something that I'm not also struggling in, okay? I struggle with the Sabbath because I struggle with being important. And so what my wife and I have really um, dropped the ball on is because we're like, oh, we really need to take a Sabbath. We really need to be intentional with our days off. And then at 7 a.m. in the morning on Saturday, we're off. And we just like go into the mountains, take a hike, go to Pismo Beach. Like we, we just go everywhere. And then at the end of the day, we're so tired, we didn't spend any time with Jesus. It's not just a day off to do whatever. It's a day to contemplate your relationship with Jesus as well. And that could be done with your family. That could be done with just, just in, in, in the beginning of the day, just listing the blessings that have happened all throughout that week. Have your kids do it too. It's like, what, it, what, what are some amazing things that God did this week? In work, in school, and whatever it might have been. Contemplate what Christ has done for you. And last, like, uh, last two things is don't schedule anything on that day. Don't have an itinerary for your Sabbath. You know what I mean? I know some of you type A people. I know. I know you want every second of your day totally planned out for your Sabbath. Give yourself a break. Allow yourself to be able to spend some time with the Lord and then go off and do something fun. Or go off and do something fun and then spend some time with the Lord. Or you go with your family and you say, we're in the house today. Not leaving. Just resting. Right? Or if you're married and you have kids, take shifts on your Sabbath maybe. Uh, dads, you take morning shift. You have the kids, you take them out to whatever. You know, go spend time with them. And while the mom gets a half a Sabbath to herself. You're one flesh, Right? You're one flesh, you, you get to split that. So then, then the mom can go spend time with Jesus, the dad can go spend time with Jesus. That's, this is some advice for you. And you can all have a Sabbath as a family too. But I encourage you, lastly, is to be accountable to your Sabbath. Be accountable to it. I have some friends in my life where they know that this, there's a specific day I've chosen each week where that is my Sabbath day. And they know if I end up doing something on that day, they call me out on it. And once again, to exemplify my hypocrisy and imperfection, I had my good buddy rebuke me this Saturday because I did some kind of work this Saturday. It was two hours, but it was work still. And I had a buddy come down hard on me because he's like, Zach, you just preached this. <laughs> I'm like, I know. It's going to be really hard. And I know that's counterintuitive because you have to work really hard to have rest. But isn't that life? Isn't that life? That unity with God is never easily attained. It takes work. I'll close with this last, last thought. This was, this was a word that God gave me um, when I was spiraling into um, a lot of depression in my life and a lot of anxiety and a lot of work. I was a workaholic at one point and just really diving into what I did. Um, I was working three jobs at the time. I had my job here at the church, which is full time. I work around 50-ish hours a week here, 40. And 
and then I was coaching some, and then I was cleaning some carpets and doing a whole bunch of different stuff because I was engaged and, you know, I was trying to, you know, bolster up some stuff for, you know, wedding and, you know, volunteering and really wanting to be a part of this and be a part of this. And um, I went to Revelation, you know, chapter 2, and I was, I was reading through it, and it was about the loveless church. He says, uh, you've done all these awesome things. He says, you, you, you've done all these amazing, you know, Jesus says to this church, you have done the good work, you have strived, you have endured, you have endured persecution, and you have labored for my namesake, and you have, um, you have taken people that are uh, contrary to the gospel, and you haven't had any dealings with them, you have done everything right, but this one thing I have against you, that you have neglected your first love. And in that moment, God spoke so clearly to me where he said, Zach, I'm really, really proud of you, but I miss you. And I think there's a word for some of you today where God just wants to just, I'm so proud of you. So proud of how hard you work. So proud of what you've been doing. But I miss you a lot. Will you come and spend time with me? And that's the word I want to give to you. That's the word I want to give to you. I'm proud of you. I miss you. Take a Sabbath to be reunited with your first love. And watch as that rest saves you from, saves you from disobedience in a hard heart. As you allow God to soften his heart through restful uh, contemplation through his word. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you guys and let you go. Father, love you. Um, praise you for all that you are doing in these people's lives. And Lord, oh, we know that we are filled with tumultuous times, Lord. It's, it's insane to uh, see the world around us and see what's going on and what's happening in, in our country and in our culture. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in fear, Lord. May we be able to sit at your feet and trust that you are Lord over all. Um, help me, God, to observe the Sabbath, Lord, not in a legalistic way, not in a way that um, makes me a Pharisee, not in a way that makes me miserable, but in a way that restores my soul. I pray that for everyone here, Lord, that it would not be a burden, Lord, that is laid upon them, Lord. May they never grow weary in doing good, but rather something that releases burdens from them. So whatever conviction has happened from your spirit tonight, let that sink in. But Lord, whatever relief, some people might feel like, man, I get to, I get to not feel guilty about taking a day off. Lord, allow that to um, provide for them refreshment. But in all things, may we give you glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen.